0: This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged presentation of Martin Luther's sermon for the third Sunday in Advent. This is from the J.N. Lanker Collection, published in 1905. The text for this sermon is Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. Now when John heard in the prison the works of the Christ, he sent by his disciples, and said unto them, Art thou he that cometh, or look we for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good tidings preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall find no occasion of stumbling in me. And as these went their way, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to behold, a reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in kings' houses. But wherefore went ye out to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. This is our text. The most I find on this gospel treats of whether John the Baptizer knew that Jesus was the true Christ, although this question is unnecessary and of little importance. St. Ambrose thinks John asked this question neither in ignorance nor in doubt, but in a Christian spirit. It is evident John knew very well that Jesus was he that should come, for he had baptized him and testified that Christ was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he had also seen the Holy Spirit descending upon him as a dove, and he heard the voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All this is fully related by all four evangelists. Why then did John ask this question? Answer. It was not done without good reasons. In the first place it is certain that John asked it for the sake of his disciples, as they did not yet hold Christ to be the one he really was. And John did not come in order to make disciples and draw the people to himself, but to prepare the way for Christ, to lead everybody to Christ, and to make all the people subject to him. Now the disciples of John had heard from him many excellent testimonies concerning Christ, namely that he was the Lamb of God and the Son of God, and that Christ must increase while he must decrease. All this his disciples and the people did not yet believe nor could they understand it, as they themselves and all the people thought more of John than of Christ. For this reason they clung so strongly to John, even to the extent that they for his sake became jealous and dissatisfied with Christ when they saw that he also baptized, made disciples, and drew the people to himself. They complained to John about this because they feared that their master would grow less in esteem, as we read in John 3. And they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, He that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou hast borne witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. To this error they were led by two reasons, first because Christ was not yet known to the people, but only to John. Neither had he as yet performed any miracles, and no one was held in high esteem but John. Hence it appeared so strange to them that he should point them and everybody else away from himself and to someone else inasmuch as there was no one living beside John who had gained a great name and enjoyed such great fame. The other reason was because Christ appeared so very humble and common, being the son of a poor carpenter and of a poor widow. Neither did he belong to the priesthood, nor to the learned, but was only a layman and a common apprentice. He had never studied, was brought up as a carpenter-apprentice just like other laymen, hence it seemed as though the excellent testimony of john concerning christ and the common layman and apprentice jesus of nazareth did not at all harmonize with each other therefore though they believed that john told the truth they still reasoned perhaps it will be that someone else other than this jesus and they looked for one that might appear among them in an imposing way like a highly learned leader among the priests or a mighty king from such delusion john could not deliver them with his words They clung to him and regarded Christ as being much inferior, meanwhile looking for the glorious appearing of the great person of whom John spoke. And should he really be Jesus, then he had to assume a different attitude. He must saddle a steed, put on bright spurs, and dash forward like a lord and king of Israel, just as the kings aforetime had done. Until he should do this, they would cling to John. But when Jesus began to perform miracles and became famous— Then John thought he would point his disciples away from himself and lead them to Christ, in order that they might not think of establishing a new sect and becoming Johnites, but that all might cling to Christ and become Christians. John sent them to Christ, so that from now on they might learn not only from the witness he bore of Christ, but also from the words and deeds of Christ himself, that he was the one of whom John had spoken. It should not be expected that the works and coming of Christ would be attended by drums and bugles and like worldly pomp, but by spiritual power and grace, so that there would be no riding and walking on streets paved and carpeted, but that by virtue of such power and grace the dead would be raised up, the blind receive their sight, the deaf hear, and all kinds of bodily and spiritual evil be removed. That should be the glory and coming of this king, the least of whose works could not be performed by all the kings all the learned, and all the rich in the world. This is the meaning of the text. From verse 2 and following. Now when John heard in the prison the works of the Christ, he sent by his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that cometh, or look we for another? It's as though John would say to his disciples, There you hear of his works, such as I never accomplished, nor anyone else before him. Now go to him and ask him whether or not he is the one that cometh. Put away the gross worldly deception that he would ride on steeds in armor. He is increasing, but I must now decrease. My work must cease, but his must continue. You must leave me and cling to him. How necessary it was for John to point his disciples away from himself to Christ is very clear. For what benefit would it have been to them if they had depended a thousand times on John's piety and had not embraced Christ? Without Christ there is no help or remedy, no matter how pious men may be. And whoever is not a Christian, even John the Baptizer cannot help, who indeed, according to Christ, was the greatest of all saints. However, John deals kindly with his disciples. He has patience with their weak faith till they shall have grown strong. He does not condemn them because they do not firmly believe him. Thus we should deal with the consciences of men ensnared by the examples and regulations of pious men until they are freed from them. Verse 4 and following. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good tidings preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall find no occasion of stumbling in me. Christ answered John also for the sake of his disciples. He answers in a twofold way, first by his works, secondly by his words. He did the same thing when the Jews surrounded him in the temple and asked him in John chapter 10, If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. But he pointed them to his works, saying, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. Again, though you believe not me, believe the works. Here Christ first points them to the works, and then also to the words, saying, And blessed is he whosoever shall find no occasion of stumbling or being offended in me. With these words he does not only confess that he is the Christ, but he also warns them against finding occasion of stumbling in him. If he were not the Christ, then he who finds no occasion of stumbling in him could not be blessed. For one can dispense with all the saints, but Christ is the only one that no man can dispense with. No saint can help us, none but Christ. The answer of his works is more convincing, first, because such works were never before accomplished, either by John or by anyone else, and secondly, because these works were predicted by the prophets. Therefore, when they saw that it came to pass, just as the prophets had foretold, they could and should have been assured. For thus Isaiah had said of these works in chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me, because Jehovah hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the weak. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. When Isaiah says he hath anointed me, He thereby means that Jesus is the Christ, and that Christ should do all these works, and he who is doing them must be the Christ. For the Greek word Christ is Messiah in Hebrew, and Unctus in Latin. But the kings and priests were usually anointed for the kingdom and priesthood. But this anointed king and priest, Isaiah says, shall be anointed by God himself, not with real oil, but with the Holy Spirit, that should come upon him, saying, The Spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me. That is my anointment, with which the Spirit anointed me. Thus he indeed preaches good tidings to the weak, gives sight to the blind, heals all kinds of sicknesses, and proclaims the acceptable year, the time of grace. Again, Isaiah in chapter 35 says, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Now if they would compare the scriptures with these works, and these works with the scriptures, they would recognize John's witness by Christ's works, that he was the true Messiah. In chapter 7, Luke says that Christ at that time when John's disciples asked him, healed many of their diseases and plagues and evil spirits and bestowed sight on many that were blind. Here we must take to heart the good example of Christ in that he appeals to his works even as the tree is known by its fruits, thus rebuking all false teachers, the pope, bishops, priests, and monks to appear in the future and shield themselves by his name saying, We are Christians just as the Pope is boasting that he is the substitute and vicar of Christ. Here we have it stated that where the works are absent, there is also no Christ. Christ is a living, active, and fruit-bearing character who does not rest, but works unceasingly wherever he is. Therefore those bishops and teachers that are not doing the works of Christ we should avoid and consider as wolves. It must therefore be observed that teaching is also a work Yea, even the chief work of Christ because here among his works he mentions that to the poor the gospel is preached therefore just as the tyrants are known by their works so are they known by their teachings where Christ is there surely the gospel will be preached but where the gospel is not preached there Christ is not present what does it mean when Christ says the poor have good tidings preached to them Is it not preached also to the rich and to the whole world? Again, why is the gospel so great a thing, so great a blessing as Christ teaches, seeing that so many people despise and oppose it? Here we must know what gospel really is. Otherwise, we cannot understand this passage. We must therefore diligently observe that from the beginning God has sent into the world a twofold word or message, the law and the gospel. These two messages must be rightly distinguished one from the other and properly understood. The law is that word by which God teaches what we shall do, as, for instance, the Ten Commandments. Now, if human nature is not aided by God's grace, it is impossible to keep the law, for the reason that man, since the fall of Adam in paradise, is depraved and full of sinful desires, so that he cannot from his heart's desire find pleasure in the law, which fact we all experience in ourselves. For no one lives who does not prefer that there were no law. And everyone feels and knows in himself that it is difficult to lead a pious life and do good, and, on the other hand, that it is easy to lead a wicked life and to do evil. But This difficulty or unwillingness to do the good is the reason we do not keep the law of God. for Whatever is done with unwillingness as considered by God is not done at all. Thus the law of God convicts us, even by our own experience that by nature we are evil, disobedient, lovers of sin, and hostile to God's laws. Now, the word gospel is of Greek origin, and signifies glad tidings, because it proclaims the blessed doctrine of life eternal by divine promise, and offers grace and forgiveness of sin. Therefore works do not belong to the gospel, as it is not a law. Only faith belongs to it, as it is altogether a promise and an offer of divine grace. Whoever now believes the gospel will receive grace in the Holy Spirit. This will cause the heart to rejoice and find delight in God, and will enable the believer to keep the law cheerfully without expecting a reward, without fear of punishment, without seeking compensation, as the heart is perfectly satisfied with God's grace by which the law has been fulfilled. But all these promises from the beginning are founded on Christ, so that God promises no one this grace except through Christ, who is the messenger of the divine promise to the whole world. For this reason he came and through the gospel brought these promises into the world, which before this time had been proclaimed by the prophets. It is therefore in vain if anyone, like the Jews, expects the fulfillment of the divine promises without Christ. All is centered and decreed in Christ, Whoever will not hear him shall have no promises of God. For just as God acknowledges no law besides the law of Moses and the writing of the prophets, so he makes no promises except through Christ alone. From verse 7 and following, And as these went their way, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to behold? A reed shaken by the wind? But what went ye out to see, a man clothed in soft raiments? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in kings' houses. But wherefore went ye out, to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. Now, as it was of great importance for them to believe John's witness and acknowledge Christ, Jesus praised John first for his steadfastness, thus rebuking their wavering on account of which they would not believe John's witness. It is as though he would say you have heard john's witness concerning me but now you do not adhere to it you take offense at me and your hearts are wavering you're looking for another but know not who nor when and where and thus your hearts are like a reed shaken by the wind to and fro you are sure of nothing and would rather hear something else than the truth about me now do you think that john should also turn his witness from me and as is the case with your thoughts Turn it to the winds, and speak of another whom you would be pleased to hear? Not so. John does not waver, nor does his witness fluctuate. He does not follow your swaying delusion. But you must stay your wavering by his witness, and thus adhere to me, and expect none other. Again, Christ lauds John because of his coarse raiment, as though to say, Perhaps you might believe him when he says that I am he that should come as to my person. BUT YOU EXPECT HIM TO SPEAK DIFFERENTLY ABOUT ME, SAYING SOMETHING SMOOTH AND AGREEABLE THAT WOULD BE PLEASANT TO HEAR. IT IS INDEED HARD AND SEVERE THAT I COME SO POOR AND DESPISED. YOU DESIRE ME TO RUSH FORTH WITH POMP AND A FLOURISH OF TRUMPETS. HAD JOHN thus SPOKEN OF ME, THEN HE WOULD NOT APPEAR SO COARSE AND SEVERE HIMSELF, BUT DO NOT THINK THUS. WHOEVER DESIRES TO PREACH ABOUT ME MUST NOT PREACH DIFFERENT THAN JOHN IS DOING. It is to no purpose. I will assume no other state and manner. Those who teach different than John are not in the wilderness but in kings' houses. They are rich and honored by the people. They are teachers of man-made doctrines, teaching themselves and not me. Christ lauds and praises John thirdly because of the dignity of his office. Namely, that he is not only a prophet, but even more than a prophet, as though he were to say, In your high-soaring, fluctuating opinion, you take John for a prophet, who speaks of the coming of Christ, just as the other prophets have done. And thus again your thoughts go beyond me to a different time when you expect Christ to come, according to John's witness, so that you will in no case accept me. But I say to you, your thoughts are wrong, for just as John warns you not to be like a shaken reed, and not to look for any other than myself, nor to expect me in a different state and manner from that in which you see me. He also forbids you to look for another time, because his witness points to this person of mine, to this state and manner, and to this time, and it opposes your fickle ideas in every way and binds you firmly to my person. Now if you want to do John justice, then you must simply accept his witness and believe that this is the person, the state and manner and the time that you should accept. And abandon your presumption and your waiting for another person's state and time. For it is decreed that John should be no shaken reed, not a man of soft raiment, and above all, not a prophet pointing to a future times, but a messenger of present events. He will not write as did the prophets, but he will point out and orally announce him, who has been predicted by the prophets, saying, as he says in verse 10, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who shall prepare the way before thee, What else can this mean that in that you dare not wait for another? Here I am present, the one of whom John speaks for John is not a prophet but a messenger, and not a messenger that is sent by the master who stays at home, but a messenger that goes before his master and brings the master along with him, so that there is one time for the messenger and for the master. Now, if you do not accept John as such a messenger. But take him for a prophet who only proclaims the coming of the Lord, as the other prophets have done, then you will fail to understand me, the scriptures, and everything else. Thus we see Christ pleads mainly for them to take John as a messenger and not as a prophet. To this end Christ quotes the scriptures referring to the passage in Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, which he does not do in reference to the other points, namely his person and manner. For to this day it is the delusion of the Jews that they look for another time. And if they then had believed that the time was at hand, and had considered John a messenger and not a prophet, then everything could easily have been adjusted as to the person and manner of Christ, inasmuch as they at last had to accept his person and manner, at least after the expired time. For there should be no other time than the days of John, the messenger and preparer of the way for his master, But as they do not heed the time, and look for another time, it is scarcely possible to convince them by his person and manner. They remain shaken reeds and soft raiment seekers as long as they take John for his prophet and not for his messenger. We accustom ourselves to the scriptures in which the word angel really means messenger, not a bearer of messages, or one who carries a letter, but one who is sent to solicit orally for the message. Hence in the Scriptures this name is common to all messengers of God in heaven and on earth, be they holy angels in heaven or the prophets and apostles on earth. For thus Malachi speaks of the office of the priest. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they shall seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger, the angel, of Jehovah of hosts. That's in Matthew chapter 2. Thus they are called God's angels or messengers and solicitors who proclaim his word. From this is also derived the word gospel, which means good tidings. But the heavenly spirits are called angels chiefly because they are the highest and most exalted messengers of God. Thus John is also an angel or word messenger, and not only a messenger, but one who also prepares the way before the face of the Master in a manner that the Master himself follows him immediately which no prophet ever did. For this reason, John is more than a prophet, namely an angel or messenger and a forerunner, so that in his day the Lord of all the prophets himself comes with this messenger. The preparing here means to make ready the way, to put out of the way all that interferes with the course of the Lord. Just as the servants clear the way before the face of masters by removing stones, people, wood, and all that is in the way, But what was it that blocked the way of Christ and John was supposed to remove? Sin, without doubt especially the good works of the haughty saints. That is, he should make known to everybody that the works and the deeds of all men are sin and iniquity, and that all need the grace of Christ. He who knows and acknowledges this thoroughly is himself humble and has well prepared the way for Christ. For if you desire to believe rightly and to possess Christ truly, then you must reject all works that you intend to place before and in the way of God. They are only stumbling blocks, leading you away from Christ and from God. Before God no works are acceptable, but Christ's own works. Let these plead for you before God and do no other work before him than to believe that Christ is doing his works for you and is placing them before God in your behalf. In order to keep your faith pure, Do nothing else than stand still, enjoy its blessings, accept Christ's works, and let him bestow his love upon you. You must be blind, lame, deaf, dead, leprous, and poor. Otherwise you will be offended and stumble at Christ. That gospel which suffers Christ to be seen and to be doing good only among the needy will not belie you. God grant it. Amen. listening to KNNA LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.